Hello and welcome to day 89 of our Bible reading course. We've said before that the New Testament letters aren't written in chronological order, but by author and length. Galatians is probably the earliest of Paul's letters, and was written to the churches he'd founded on his first missionary journey, Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra and Derbe. So we're stepping back in time again to the middle chapters of the book of Acts. Not only was there conflict with Jews in those towns who didn't accept Jesus as Messiah, but there was also a significant view among those who had become believers that Gentiles should nonetheless become circumcised and obey the law of Moses. We've touched on this already in the letter to the Romans, so I won't repeat Paul's argument here. Though it's interesting to see how Galatians contains many of the key ideas that are more fully developed in Romans. Today's passage is a powerful declaration of Christian freedom and how that influences the way we should live. Our reading is Galatians chapters 5 and 6. Let's pray. My soul waits for the Lord, more than those who watch for the morning, more than those who watch for the morning. Eternal God, as I wait upon you now, speak to me, I ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, 
jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfil the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. The Apostle Paul was undoubtedly a great thinker and theologian, but he was also very practical in applying the Christian faith to everyday life. Many of his letters begin with the theory and then conclude with the practice. And Galatians is a good example of this, with chapter 5 as something of a transition between the two. The letter was probably written just before the conclusive decision of the Council of Jerusalem in AD 49 or 50 to allow Gentiles into the church without becoming Jews first. So it's still a live and fiercely contested issue. Paul therefore uses some of his strongest and most vigorous language, 
diving straight in at the beginning of the letter without his usual extended greeting, and at one point calling them foolish, more like witless or stupid. In our reading, he wishes his opponents would go the whole hog and emasculate themselves. He's exasperated, perplexed, and deeply concerned for them, for they're in serious peril of losing sight of the gospel with its emphasis on the sufficiency of God's grace, their faith, and the whole work of Jesus at the cross. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. As we saw in Romans chapter 8, it's the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that produces the lifestyle and righteousness that could never be achieved under the law. Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit as love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This stands in marked contrast to the flesh. Now it's important to understand that Paul is not referring to our human bodies here. The Bible is very clear that these are given to us by God and so are to be valued and used for his glory. Instead, flesh means our sinful nature, or the old self, that which is powerless to withstand temptation, and so falls short of God's glory. It acts selfishly, unlovingly, immorally, and unjustly. Paul declares that this has been crucified by all who are in Christ, and as he would say in Romans, buried in the waters of baptism. So it's really important that the Galatians understand what freedom in Christ means. It's freedom from the law, not freedom to live as they please. This is what pagans do. Indeed, Christians come under significant obligations when they receive Jesus as Saviour and Lord, which chapter 6 begins to describe. An obligation to help anyone who is wandering off track in their faith. An obligation to carry one another's burdens. An obligation to humility and accountability. An obligation to persevere in doing good. At the end of the day, what counts, Paul uses the word both at the beginning and end of the reading, is faith expressing itself through love, chapter 5, verse 6, and the new creation, chapter 6, verse 15. How do I understand my freedom in Christ? Does it put me under any obligations? How does this challenge the rampant individualism of our modern age? What does Paul mean by his exhortations to keep in step with the Spirit and to sow to please the Spirit? How can I do this in practice? And what do I make of Paul's comment that through the cross of Jesus, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world? Is this just for him or for all believers? And if so, what does it mean for me? Lord God, my Heavenly Father, I praise you that the Christian life is about far more than the forgiveness of sins, essential though that is. Help me truly to embrace the dying to self and the world that Paul describes, and living instead in the fullness and fruitfulness 
of the Spirit. Help me also to avoid legalism in all its forms, including the temptation to hold on to traditions when they're in danger of becoming straitjackets, which prevent the free movement of your spirit, either in my own personal life, the life of others, or indeed the life of your church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.